So if you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn to uh, Psalm 2. This is in the Old Testament. If you don't have your Bible with you, uh, this passage is uh, in your bulletin. It's printed there. Um, we always say as well that you can find the passage online. So if you're, if you're watching online with us, you can Google Psalm 2. You could go to esv.org, find the passage there as well. And I would encourage you to actually turn to the second psalm with me because we're going to be working our way verse by verse, section by section through this psalm today. And this is really the beginning of our Advent Christmas series in the book of Psalms. Um, if you've been tracking with us over the past year plus, we've been working through the book of Luke. And we're going to return to the book of Luke and finish that up in the beginning of 2021, Lord willing. But as we do often for the Christmas season, we'll take a quick break from our, our regular series. And then we're not just looking at any psalm. Um, there are 150 psalms, these works of uh, beautiful poetry and uh, prayers in the scripture. But if you, if you know the New Testament, there's a book in the New Testament called the book of Hebrews. And it is a, a beautiful, glorious book in its own right. Uh, about how we are to worship Christ as, as New Testament believers. And in the first chapter of Hebrews, there's this litany of passages from the Old Testament that are describing our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be looking at the Psalms that are quoted in Hebrews chapter 1. And so I'm not going to read Hebrews 1 yet. I'll actually, when we get into the message, we'll read that passage. We'll get there. Uh, but you'll know why these particular psalms have been chosen. So again, turn to Psalm number 2 in your Bible. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, that he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we can take refuge in you through this passage as we 
work our way through Psalm 2. We don't want just my ideas. We don't want just our ideas that we brought into the room. But we want to know your very word. We want to know uh, the, the, the thoughts that you have put down for us in Scripture, to understand it, to apply it, to, to work it out in the nitty-gritty details of our lives. And so we pray for the guidance of your Spirit to do that, um, to understand and apply this today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So imagination is something that is remarkable. I listen to a lot of um, audiobooks, and I'm always amazed at how when you, when you read a work of fiction, you can create a world in, in your mind, and you can learn to love and, and cherish characters that, that don't actually exist, but you have it in your head. Now, of course, Scripture is true. It's not a work of fiction. But I think that the Lord has also given us imaginations to better understand and enter into the, the world of Scripture, to understand what it's saying, to apply it to our lives. And so today, as we work our way through this psalm, I want to do something a little bit different than we normally would do. Uh, but we're going to, to use our sanctified imaginations to Picture ourselves reading this particular psalm or hearing this particular psalm at three different points in history. So first, we're going to imagine ourselves reading this psalm before the first advent of Christ. And then we'll imagine ourselves reading this during the first advent of Christ. And then we'll imagine ourselves reading it today, which won't take that much imagination, but reading this as people after the first advent of Christ. And so let's start first with our imaginations, picturing ourselves reading or hearing the psalm before the first advent of Christ. So you can, you can imagine that you are a Jewish believer. You're living almost 600 years before the birth of Christ, just before Israel is going into captivity in Babylon. Now, they had a, a righteous king, Josiah, but he's been replaced by his son, who is, who is wicked, who is uh, sinning against God, leading the, the nation into idolatry that, that you, as a Jew at this time, are seeing this played out in the, the world around you. And you see uh, the, the nations uh, that are opposed to God. You, you see that there's Assyria, there's, there's Babylon, there's the power of, of Egypt, all at work in the world. And so you're terrified of what you're hearing reported about uh, the conquest of Babylon. And so you go to worship in the synagogue one day, and you are you're bringing in all the baggage of all the things that you are worried about. And then you hear, either sung or read, Psalm 2. And this is what you hear why do the nations rage, the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. And so as you hear that, immediately you are drawn into the text, because you're reflecting on these nations that are raging against God. Babylon, Assyria, Egypt... 
And you thought that these were great, terrifying nations, that they were just opposed to Israel, that they're opposed to you. But as you hear this psalm, you come to find out that actually these nations are opposed to God themselves, that they are, they're raging against God. There is a, a vast international conspiracy coming together of the nations to oppose the rule of Yahweh, to throw off his cords, to throw off his work. And so this is giving a context for you to understand what is actually going on in your world at, in current events. But then you continue to hear Psalm 2 in verse 4. It says, He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in, in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so you hear those words, and you were terrified of Babylon because you know that if they take Jerusalem, they could kill you, they could kill your family, they could carry you off to captivity in Babylon. But then you hear that God is completely and utterly secure in heaven, that he sees the, the nations raging against him in fury and it says that he laughs. He, he holds them in derision. They are nothing compared to his power. And he, and he says to them, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hell. And so as a, as a first century Jew, or not first century, but as an um, ancient Jew before the first century, uh, you would recognize that Zion is not just a, a, a symbol, but you would see Zion every day in Jerusalem where you live, and you would see this incredible complex on the hill above the city where there's the, the temple and a royal palace built by Solomon, and it, it dominates the city. It's, it's beautiful. It's glorious. It's where you go to, to offer sacrifice, to, to worship, but you're not sure if what the psalm is saying is true, because it says that I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. But that seems strange because you know that the king who is ruling over Judah at this time is Jehoahaz, this evil king, this son of the righteous king, Josiah. You know that he is actually trying to join with the nations to rage against God, that he's actually opposed to the purposes of God for the world. And, and so he doesn't seem like this, this great king being set up to oppose the nations, but he's actually complicit in the anti-God conspiracy of the nations. And so you say, is it really true that God has set his king on Zion, his holy hill? And then as an astute reader of the scripture that was written before your time, you, you probably would remember 2 Samuel 7, these words of God to David, who lived hundreds of years before, that, that says, uh, When the days are fulfilled, and you, David, lie down with your fathers, I, the Lord speaking, will raise up for your offspring after you, uh, sorry, will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And so, so that passage in 
2 Samuel 7 is, is predicting, yes, there's going to be this king, this son of David, who will be called a, a son of God. And you know that it, it was almost seemed to be fulfilled in Solomon, but it wasn't because he turned away from God in idolatry. And it is certainly not being fulfilled with the current kings of Israel. And so you know that it's actually pointing to something greater, a, a future king, a future son of David, who is going to be, to be greater even than David himself, and, and that God is able to speak of it in past tense. He's saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, because the reign and the dominion of this coming future king, this future Messiah, is so secure, so certain, that he can speak about it as if it's in past tense. And so as you reflect on this, the, the psalm continues. You continue to listen, and it says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so as you hear this, this read, uh, you're able to discern this, this very odd change of syntax that suddenly a, a verse, a, another voice is emerging from the psalm here. And it says, I will tell of the decree. And the Lord said to me. And then what does it say that the Lord said? That, that you are my son, today I have begotten you. That, that this, this future coming Messiah, that, that his voice is actually emerging from the psalm itself, talking about the, the word of his father to him, about his true identity, about his kingdom, about his reign, about his coming victory over the nations in the future. And so as you hear this, suddenly you, you were terrified of Babylon, of Egypt, of Assyria, of the, these uh, nations that were menacing. But then you are secure because you know that God is secure. You know that the Messiah is secure. You feel comfort. You feel hope. You know that everything will be okay despite what it looks like on the surface. But then as you, as you listen, the psalm concludes, beginning of verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so you're surprised that you, here you are worshiping in the synagogue with other members of the covenant community, and suddenly the, the reading that you're hearing isn't just addressing the covenant community, that your reading is actually addressing the nations around you that are raging against God and, and hatching this vast conspiracy against their maker. And this psalmist warns the nations to, to fear. It says, be warned, now fear the Lord, rejoice with trembling. And then most importantly, he says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way that, that what we see being held out here is actually hope for the nations, that, that even though these nations are opposed to God, they're raging against God, that there is actually an opportunity for them to turn, to repent, to experience the, the life that is on offer here. 
And the way that they will do that is actually through their response to God and their response to his coming Messiah. Will they receive the coming Messiah or will they turn away from him? And as you see yourself and your own nation turning away from God at this time about to go into captivity in Babylon, you're struck that if there's hope for the pagan nations that are raging against God, then there's certainly hope for you and that your call is actually to also serve the Lord with fear, to rejoice in the Lord, to kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. And and you're kissing the Son really with the eyes of faith, having that perspective of knowing, I know that the promised Messiah, the Son of David, is coming. And so I'm going to trust in that future arrival of the Messiah and his promise yet to come. And that is going to be the way that I can take refuge in God and experience the blessing that is on offer here through faith of what is coming in the future. And so that's the perspective then of somebody reading this psalm before the first advent. But now again, getting your imagination going of fast forwarding about 600 years to around the year one, thereabouts. And you are a a Jew now living in Bethlehem. And you go to the synagogue again to worship, and you hear the same psalm, Psalm 2, that has been used for hundreds of years in your nation to worship God. And they say, why do the nations rage? The peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And so from your perspective... Immediately, you're thinking of the Roman Empire because Rome has subjugated your nation. Uh, there's, there's violence and oppression from the Roman Empire, not just in your nation, but around the known world at the time. And again, you get this perspective that it's not just Israel that they're opposing, that they're actually part of this vast international conspiracy against God that has been the fair of the nations for thousands of years. And they're just another part of it that is continuing. But then you continue to listen. It says, He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so you hear this this promise of the the king on the holy hill, and you're tempted to doubt it, just as generations doubted it, because at this point in history, there's actually no one on the throne from the household of David. Herod the Great is ruling in Jerusalem. He's not a descendant of David. And Herod the Great is actually set up by Rome. He is a a puppet, a pawn of the Roman Empire, And so the very king of your nation ruling on Mount Zion is in league with the nations that are raging against God. So how in the world can we say that God has set his king in Zion, his holy hill? And so you begin to recognize, no, this is prophetic. It's talking about something greater yet to come, that a king is going to reign in Zion. And as we said already, that from God's perspective, it's already happen. And therefore, 
You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be terrified of the nations. But then the psalm continues. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And as the generations before, you hear the voice of the Messiah coming forth, talking about his identity, his, his sonship, his coming rule, his, his reign that is secure in the purposes of God. And then you hear the final words of the psalm. It says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So here again in your synagogue in Bethlehem, there's a warning to the Roman Empire from God to take warning, to, to be careful, to, to be prepared to bow the knee to the coming Messiah, to receive him as the ruler of their life, to, to kiss the son lest he be angry and they perish in the way. But as the, the psalm ends and concludes, you are actually unaware that very near where you are in Bethlehem, in a house, there is a, a baby who has just been born to a woman named Mary. Um, his father, not his biological father's name is Joseph, who is descended from the house of, of David, even though he is a, a peasant. Um, he doesn't have that outward show of, of rule and kingship. And so just as you're hearing the, the voice of the coming Messiah speaking from the Psalms in your worship service, this Messiah has come and arrived, but he hasn't yet taken his throne in Jerusalem on Mount Zion to rule and to shatter the nations. But he has come as this humble child in the most humble of, of circumstances as the king. And it's part of God's plan to, to laugh at the nations, to hold them in derision, to see that the, that the power of the nations are actually nothing compared to the power of God and that he can use weakness and, and seeming foolishness according to human wisdom to shatter the strength of the strong. And so that's how a, a reader may have read this during the advent of Christ. But now third and finally, we'll fast forward another 2,000 years, and we find ourselves reading this today in the modern world after the advent of Christ. And we say, well, who is the Messiah? Who is the one prophesied in this text? And I mentioned that the whole idea of this series is looking at Psalms from Hebrews 1. But listen to what Hebrews 1 says, beginning in verse 3. This is describing Jesus. It says that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he, uh, he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And so the author to the Hebrews is 
identifying Jesus, this one who is greater than angels, this one who is the exact imprint of the glory of God, this one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, saying this is the one who is speaking in Psalm 2. This is the, the voice emerging from the text saying, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And so just to, to then apply this today, we're going to walk through this psalm one more time briefly and think about how it also speaks to our world just as it's spoken to generations for thousands of years. So the psalm says, why do the nations rage, the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And again, we said before the first advent, there was the power of Babylon, Assyria, Egypt. During the advent of Christ, it was the power of Rome. But we look at the, the world today that there is still a, a vast international conspiracy against the rule of God. And that actually each and every one of us is complicit in that conspiracy against God. That stemming from our first parents, Adam and Eve, that, that we want to set ourselves up as gods. We want to be autonomous. We want to live our own way in the world. And that this gets enshrined even in nations today where we see very blatant persecution of Christianity. We see in the world today uh, wickedness or immorality being held up as good. We see hypocrisy. We see false teaching. We see that the, the nations rage, that they plot in vain, that they set themselves up against the Lord and his anointed. And that's why as frequently in the New Testament we're warned don't love the world or the things of the world. We read that from John. That, that we're not casting our ultimate hope in the order of this world because ultimately this world is opposed to God and his purposes. That, that our call is to, to actually fix our hope on the rule and the reign of Christ as the Messiah. That, that it's not here and now, it is in Christ alone. But as the psalm continues, then we, we reflect on when it says that, that he who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, and he will speak to them in wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so that's God's response to the hostility of, of our hearts so often to God, of the hostility of the, the nations around us when he sees hostility to God and in China, or North Korea, or Iran, or England, or America, or Germany, or any nation on earth that in any way is setting itself up against the, the rule and the purposes of God, that, that God laughs. He holds them in derision. He says that I have set my king in Zion, my holy hill. And so we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry about what is going on in the news or what we see around us because the reign of Christ is secure. But then as the psalm continues, Christ speaks from the text and says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so then as, as New Testament believers, we see this for what it is, that this is actually 
an intra-Trinitarian conversation that the, the Father is speaking to the Son, and then the Son is recounting to us what the, the Father said to him. And it's exactly what was said by the Father at the baptism of Jesus, where the Spirit descended in the form of a dove, and the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. It's the, the same voice that spoke on the Mount of Transfiguration that the disciples heard um, as, as Christ was transfigured and, and white that says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And it's this, this son, Jesus, this only begotten son of God, not just a son, but the son who will receive the nations as his inheritance. And he has already received his inheritance now. He has already shattered the power of sin, death, and the devil through his life, death, and resurrection that he has broken down the, the barrier to the gospel going out to the nations, that despite the opposition of the nations raging against God, the gospel is going forward. And we get this glorious picture in Scripture that, that one day people from every tribe and every tongue and nation will be gathered before the throne, not in a vast conspiracy against God, but in a vast worship service to praise and worship the Lord. And, and, and so it's also not yet because we haven't seen this fully brought to bear, but there's actually hope for the nations, hope for you, hope for me to be, to be gathered in, to, to kiss the Son lest he be angry. And that's what we see in the final verses of this psalm. It says that, Now therefore, kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so the, the psalmist, is, he's addressing the rulers of our world. He's addressing rulers in other nations. He's addressing our president, our senators, our representatives, our entrepreneurs, our entertainers, our religious leaders. He's addressing every single one of us in this world who are tempted to throw off the rule and the authority of God in our lives. And he says, be warned, hear, fear the Lord, look to him as all of your hope, all of your salvation. And then the key point, most importantly, he says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. That the very linchpin of salvation, the linchpin of, of hope, of taking refuge in God is what do we do with the son of God with Jesus Christ? Do we kiss the Son? It's, it's not about our own moral performance, ultimately. It's not about our own ceremonies, ultimately. But it's what we read in John chapter 3, that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so that's just another way of seeing, saying what Psalm 2 says. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Whoever does not believe in the Son is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God of God, that, that he is the, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who is the Alpha and the Omega. 
<clears throat> and any hope that we have of knowing and experiencing the, the goodness and the glory of God is in Him, that we are blessed as we take refuge 